0: My daughter is always saying to me, Dad, you're no good at taking selfies. Um, she says that there's a way that you're supposed to hold the cell phone in order that you, you get the right angle so both people fit into the, the picture well, all right? And so um, when I was up at, at Andrews University in Michigan um, last month, I took a, a selfie with, um, with a pastor and uh, when I took it and then I you know, went home and looked at it, I kind of realized what she meant. And so you take a, you, you take a look at this picture, the pastor, you may, you may know him. Do you see what I mean? It's kind of a little bit messed up there, isn't it? I, I didn't quite do it quite. I couldn't kind of get the angle because he's a little shorter than me. But he did say, when you get to Forest Lake, you know, tell the folks I said hi. So, selfie notwithstanding, I've done my job, and, and next time maybe either I'll get shorter or hopefully he'll get taller, you know? <laughs> it's good to be here. It's really good to be here at the bridge and to be able to share in this, um, this service of worship and celebration. Um, as Pastor Bernie said, we were here uh, last few days at this leadership um, summit, and um, It's really great to be inspired and to think about leadership and what God wants us to do. And you know, uh, Pastor Bernie is, I mean, he doesn't like me to say this, but he's a little bit of a a hero of mine, all right? Now, I've got to take you back to 19 years ago when I started ministry in the UK. And uh, there was a program, uh, a a, a satellite broadcast called um, Net 98. Anybody remember that? Some of you remember that, all right? Some of you are kind of a little older. I didn't say old, I said older, okay? So you remember Net98, and, and, and I had just started ministry, and the senior pastor that I was um, at the church with, he w- I was the intern, he was a senior pastor. We were, we were recording the program, of course. Then that would be around uh, 11, like 11 o'clock at night in the evening, um, and it would be recorded, and then we would play it the next day. And so when you're a, um, an intern, what, what happens is, it doesn't happen everywhere, but what happens is you get to do some of the jobs that the senior pastor doesn't want to do. Now I know it's not like, that's not what it's like here at Forest Lake, but, but when I started out with my senior pastor, and he was great, he was really kind, he was an Irish gentleman, um, uh, Brian Robinson, great man. But every now and then he would give me one of those jobs that not everybody wanted to do. And one of those was to uh, either stay up or wake up and drive down to the church, go up to the balcony, and press the record button. And so it was always kind of a relief when, when Pastor Bernie came on. I could just press the button and go, and go home and go back to bed, all right? So that was our first encounter all those years ago. I mean, he didn't know me then, I didn't know him, but look at God, we're here today. So that just shows you how, how God works and ministry and life. So I'm glad to be here um, my wife and, and kids uh, are not here today. Um, this is um, my son, Nathaniel. He's a drummer at our church in Nathaniel. He's always, he's always looking cool. Um, a, little, a little story about Nathaniel. When he was born, um, we, I wanted to call him Josiah, all right? And my wife, Andrea, wanted to call him Joshua, all right? So we called him Nathaniel, all right? Now, that's a little, little tip to some of you younger ones out there who are thinking about maybe getting married, you know, uh, dating and all that kind of stuff hopefully lead to marriage, that, that in marriage you've got to learn to compromise, all right? Sometimes you get your, your, you know, your wife will get what she wants, sometimes the man will get what the, he wants, and sometimes nobody gets what they want, all right? And you compromise. So that's why his name is Nathaniel. Um, and uh, Hannah May, she's a little bit of a fashionista. Um, she was actually wearing Ivanka Trump in that, that last shot there. And we we kind, of, kind of challenged her about some of our political views, but she said, it's just a dress, Dad. So we said, OK, <laughs> you can work with that. And that's my wife, Andrea. She's leading praise team. So they're not here. Um, now, here is the problem. And I'm going to need somebody to, OK, we have the clock, all right? So that's not too bad, because my wife is the one who gives me the wind-up look, all right? Now, if you're, and I don't know if if you do this too, but my wife, she she gives body language, and that body language lets me know if the sermon is going well or not well, okay? (laughs) So if she leans in, that means, honey, you're doing great, I'm so proud of you, this is a great message, it's coming together well. If she kind of sits back with that kind of furrowed brow, that means, I don't know what you're saying, you're losing me, probably the whole congregation is lost. Um, but the worst thing is if she takes up her hymnal, you know, because we have a closing hymn at the end of church. If she takes up her hymnal, begins to look through, that means you has got to land this thing. Get it over with, all right? <laughs> She's not here, um, but I do have a little time, so that will help me to kind of know where, where I am. I'll tell you a really funny story. Um, I was asked to preach in, in uh, Harare in Zimbabwe, and uh, when we're preparing for the the service, uh, or rather the, the, the series, um, the speaker well the, the coordinator of the series said, "Now, understand people are coming to these meetings um, from far away. They are traveling on rough roads, you know they're squashed in buses and things like that, and so I said." And so they'll be traveling maybe an hour to get here. And so I said, okay, I understand, keep the message short. He said, no, 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 make it long. I said, what? He said, no, 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 you gotta go long. I said, I don't understand. He said, well, people are coming from a long way away. You know, they've come straight from work, dusty roads. He said, if you preach for half an hour, they won't come back. Because they'll have traveled maybe three hours there and back to get there. You give them half an hour message, They'll think, well, I ain't going to bother traveling all that way just for half an hour. So I was thinking about that this morning and thinking, well, we've come in ac cars, very comfortable, right? So technically, we should be longer, right? Oh, you're right, all right. Let's, let's pray, let's pray, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, your written word, and we just pray that you bless this, your written word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you would know, I'm from Great Britain, all right? Now, it used to be called the British Empire, all right? And at one point in history, um, we were in charge of a quarter of the world land, population, and language, okay? And that that included what we now call, presently, the United States of America, okay? (laughs) Now, I'm here on behalf of Her Majesty's government to offer the opportunity for you to come back home, okay? (laughs) To bring the band back together, okay? So just so you know, there are a few things that will be included in that. So number one, the football that you actually throw (laughs) and don't kick, and that thing that you call soccer, we have to scrap that, okay? (laughs) So football will be the real football. There will be no more soccer, all right? Baseball will become cricket again, as it should be, OK? Just a few minor things, and, and there will be no more NBA, all right? Now of course that doesn't really affect you in Orlando because you don't really have a team right now, so I mean it doesn't... No, I mean look, look, look. We're, we're going through the same thing in Miami too, all right, all right? Just the, Anyway, so let's, let's not go there. So I guess that's, that's off the table. So let's speak, about, let's speak about what I'm here to speak about, which is leadership. Now, um, when we think about leadership, often we think about CEOs, we think about corporate directors, um, we think about um, billionaires, we think about moguls and, and people who have exhibited great skill uh, in leading. They have certain accomplishments behind their name. They've done great things. One of the things that I find fascinating and interesting is studying the, the, the life and narrative of leaders. In fact, um, in preparing for this message, I was looking at um, presidents, U.S. presidents. Now, I guess I, I should, you know, because I know in, in the U.S. you like to do quiz, all right? So we're going to have a little quiz here. Okay, now, of course, we know these two... Um, lovely individuals, all right, or couple, right, two power couples here, all right, um, the Obamas and the, and the Trumps, all right, A- and if anything really speaks to um, the American dream, it's our former president and our present president. Now, call it what you will, and we may have some discussions over politics, But, but they represent, at least in Reaching the presidency uh, and being the, the presidential family and couple that they are, a significant achievement, at least in the sense that they set out to achieve a goal and they arrived at it. Now, we know presently that, that we have um, some challenges with our with our country, not least that, that um, you know, it's quite funny, yesterday I got a... Uh, Uh, Alert on my phone from CNN all right now. Okay. I just gave away my kind of political leaning, but you know (laughs) but um, it said um, President Trump says we're locked and loaded all right and ready for North Korea. I was like, okay I know it's not you know the best way to express ourselves We may want to think of some other language, but (laughs) locked and loaded kind of made me a little bit nervous, but anyway But one of the things that we think about, we think about people who are destined to be leaders. We think that there are people who are just destined, they are born to lead. They were always going to be, you know, you have uh, this class president or or people who are most likely to succeed or achieve. And so somewhere in our mind, we have a belief that, that leadership is for certain people that there are certain individuals who are going to be leaders and there are others who will not be. When I was thinking about US presidents, um, what was fascinating to me was you have uh, in your history individuals who, if they had been asked, if you'd been asked, would this person be uh, president, would probably have said no. Think of... Think of um, um, now, I, I want no one who's under the age of over the age of 18 to answer, right? So, so the first one is Jimmy Carter. Now, anyone know what President Carter was? Now, you have to be under 18 to answer, all right? Anyone know what President Carter was before he became president? Little history class. Okay, anybody out there to shout it out? Okay, peanut farmer, all right? He was a peanut farmer. All right, now, how about um, Harry Truman. Anybody know what he was or did? Over over eighteen or under eighteen doesn't matter now because I think we're getting pretty desperate, right? <laughs> okay, he actually um, owned a, a haberdashery. Yeah, it, it actually went out of business. You know, he kind of lost money before he became president. All right. Now you should know this. You should know this. Ronald Reagan, big Ron, he was an actor, right? Now, some would say that, you know, the presidency is somewhat of an act, especially now we have a reality TV, but we, we, won't, we won't go there, we won't go there, we won't go there. But what we do know is it's possible, and me really my train, it's possible for all of us to have an exhibit leadership. John Maxwell says, because you just maybe you're not convinced, John Maxwell says, the true measure of leadership is what? Influence, nothing more, nothing less. And so we all have the potential and possibility to lead. So the extent to which we are born to lead is really because we are born and we are on planet Earth and so because we are here, we have the potential to make a contribution and to lead someone in a better place. Now, one of the challenges of leadership is that many people want change. Many people want to see things done, but they don't necessarily want to be the ones to do it. Now, here's the thing, that we can't change everything. You see, the caption here says, who wants change? Everybody puts their hand up. Who wants to be in charge? Hands go down. Who wants to lead the change? Everyone disappears. Now, one of the reasons why that happens is because we we feel that we are inadequate or incapable of leading, of working, using our influence to make a difference. But there are some factors that I want to share that come from a text in scripture that I think might inspire us. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 5, and um, we're going to start at verse 1. It says, now, excuse me, now Naaman's Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because of him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he had leprosy. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Naaman went in and told his master saying, thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. I want you to imagine with me for a moment. You hear a commotion outside your house. You hear screams and shouts. You hear perhaps maybe even shots being fired. Individuals enter your home, separate you from your family members and take you away. Next thing you know, you wake up in a strange place, maybe another country, and you're told that you are now the property of someone else. And you have certain duties to perform, in order for you to be sustained. And those duties are to serve the persons who have taken you captive. But not only that, but you find out that the individual, the person that you're serving, is actually the, the, the person who is responsible for organizing and orchestrating your capture. Thinking about that, in the context of our own lives, perhaps gives us a little bit of a feel and a flavor for what we read, we've just read in this text. In the Bible, the expression young maid probably means a young girl who was maybe no more than 13 years old. Teenager, if, if that. She's been taken away from her family, friends, community. To the house of Naaman to be Naaman's wife's maid. Now the text speaks of Naaman as a great leader, a mighty man of valor, someone who has distinguished himself in leadership. And yet Naaman has a problem. He is a leper. He has this debilitating skin condition. And the text tells us that This young maid is moved to offer assistance, to use her knowledge and influence to aid Naaman. And so when when I thought about what I would share with us today, I thought, how can we, who may not be corporate leaders, may not have our names in doors or offices or be in the Wall Street Journal or any other Forbes or any of those type of magazines or periodicals. How can we bring what we have to be of benefit to someone else? How can we bring our leadership through influence? So a few things came to me out of this text, and I'll share them briefly with us. The first thing I'd like to suggest to us that this text teaches us, is that there is an importance and it's essential for us if we are going to lead through influence, to not be constricted by our captivity. This young maid, this young girl, was taken away from her family. Placed in captivity, away from all of the support and the love and the nurturing that she'd known as a child, and yet she was not constricted or constrained by her captivity. She allowed her influence to be felt in the house of Naaman, in spite of the reality of her surroundings. And so perhaps if we think about how we might lead, how we might give, how we might make a difference, perhaps it might be that we can consider that the captivity of our own experience should not hinder us from using what we have and who we know. The captivity of our own guilt, the captivity of our own disappointment, the captivity of our own frustrations, the captivity of our own pain. And yet in the the midst of what we're experiencing, we see a bigger picture. You know, being um, a father of two energetic young kids, I get to think or get to hear a lot more about what goes on in the world through my kids um, than I could ever read <laughs> or listen to. And one of the things that I've had to do as a, as a parent is not become overwhelmed with the stuff that I hear. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You hear a lot of stuff. If you, if you allow your kids to talk to you, you'll, you'll hear stuff. And, and, and sometimes in my head I'm like, oh you know this world is so wicked and things are so awful. And the danger is that we become resigned to the pain of this world and the ungodliness sometimes that we see. That we only see it as something out there and not something that should affect us in here. And so one of the things that I've determined to do is is not to allow the mold of this world. As we read in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Do not be held captive by the reality of the rise of secularization and secularism. Don't be held captive by that. Because God still has a life for us to live for Him and a world to be influenced and led. Secondly, I think this text tells us, and it spoke to me, that if we are going to lead through influence, we must give ourselves to care beyond our circle. One of the, the reasons why we took that 4,500-mile uh, drive, not drive, flight, be a long drive, right? Incidentally, you guys drive forever over here. You know, I mean, it was interesting. When, when I went back to the UK, um, and I'll be in, in London, and I, we live, or we, really our family, most of our family are in the center of England. And so, people would say, if I'm stopping out late, like 10.30, and I'm in London, they would say, you need to go, because you've got that two-hour drive. And I would say, oh, in America, we drive much further than that. And they're like, oh, you're American now, are you, you know? But one of the reasons why we took that, that flight, why we, 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 we came here, was because we wanted our, our kids to go through the Adventist education system. We, we, we're passionate about it. We believe in it. And... Um, And so we we made that. That was one of the reasons why we came here. But one of the the challenges of being in in a safe um, context, Christian context or Adventist context, is that we can begin to become comfortable being amongst ourselves. And if we're going to lead through influence, one of the things that we need to do is to move outside of the circle of ourselves. I pastor in South Florida, in Broward, and when I came here, I I moved to the church where I was in was a a fairly um, affluent church, an affluent area, you know, two and three car garage, you know, everyone doing pretty well, little Lexus, BMW in the drive, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, after, after three and a half years of that, of, of, of rolling like that, the law decided to move me to one of the more deprived areas of Broward, where we have over 25% of the people below the poverty line, where there are people that are shot, there is gun crime on a consistent basis, once or, t- or twice a week at least, we have people in our community who were shot and killed. People experience great hardship and deprivation. And one of the things that we we have found in both contexts is that we've had to say to our church community, we have to be concerned about the lives of the people outside of these walls. We've got to be concerned about those who don't look like us or who don't live like us. And if we want to lead through influence, and one of the great things about being young as many of you are is that you have the opportunity and the ability to see past color and culture and social divisions don't lose that don't lose that because what this world needs and dare I even say it, what this country needs are people who can see past the barriers and lines and divisions that are being set up so we've got to care. My kids may not be victims of, of uh, my kids may not be perpetrators of crime, but we've got to care about the crime. They, they may not experience teenage pregnancy, but we've got to care about that. Because there, are, there is pain and there is need, whether you are wealthy or whether you're very poor. Leading through influence. Great challenge. In this text, what I'm fascinated about perhaps most of all is that somehow this young maid has the credibility, she develops the credibility to be listened to. And I thought about how did that happen? It happens maybe, possibly because there is A desperate need for Naaman and on the other hand, there is a possible solution. And in the middle, there is a faithful servant. A desperate need, possible solution and a faithful servant. Just think about it for a minute. She was a maid, serving, cleaning, fetching, carrying for the family of the captain who was responsible for her captivity. And yet she was faithful. And so perhaps one of the the greatest expressions of our influence It's just that we are committed. That we are committed to doing whatever is in our hand to do. Sometimes we think about the the great stage or the great opportunity or the the great possibility. But much of what is done comes just through being committed to the basic and sometimes even as my kids would say, my kids would say, the boring. (laughs) But most of all, being committed to God. The word of God says that we should commit our ways to the Lord. Psalm 37 and verse five. Trust also in him and he will do it. You know, one of the things that, that, um, I'm always wrestling with, his, um, with my son, he's, he's, he likes the scene to see into the future, he likes music, you know, he's, uh, he, he produces music, he writes uh, beats and stuff like that. And so he's, he's, he's always saying, Dad, you know, I tell you, I, I'm gonna make this song and when I put it out on SoundCloud and, you know, I need an account because when the money starts, and I say, son, just, just, just do the basics, son. And don't forget your piano and your other Schoolwork that you gotta do. Yeah? He gets ahead, and, and sometimes we like to see what's ahead, but 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 the text says, Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do it. Somewhere, this young girl didn't know how, but she knew that God was gonna do something. But she was also courageous because she spoke up, and she spoke about the prophet in Samaria. Even in captivity, think about it for a moment. She spoke for the prophet in captivity, while she was in captivity, for healing for her master with a confidence and courage that allowed Naaman to be healed. Leadership is always going to take courage. Courage can be simply saying, I'm not going to laugh about that. I'm not going to share that. I'm not going to be part of that conversation. I'm not going to be silent when others are silent. Because leadership takes courage. And courage is not that, that big stage or that big thing. It's the little choices and decisions that we make every day. The last thing that came to me out of this text, and it's just my, my thoughts, is that somehow she was, she stayed Christ-centered, she stayed God-centered. In the midst of her environment, she was not swept away and she stayed Christ-centered centered. In 1976, my mom had been seven or eight years from Jamaica to the UK. And um, she was, like most, had a faith belief but came to the UK, began to work and Stuff happened and she kind of lost her faith and commitment. And uh, when I was born, I was uh, 10 and three-quarter pounds, okay? (laughs) Now, I guess that means I was a big baby, all right? (laughs) And um, because back in those days, they they didn't have like elective caesareans and all of this stuff that we have now, you know, you just kind of had to push the baby out, you know? And so, um, when I was born, my mom said, before she passed out, she said, Lord, if you let me have this child, I will give this child to you. And so, a few months after that picture was taken, my parents separated because my dad had other ideas about how to live, and my mom wanted to fulfill her commitment. And so we began going to church, and I became heavily involved in church, and I got baptized, served the church, and eventually I became a minister. Now, my mom was not an educated person. She didn't have her name on any book or any, anything in lights. But every single morning, she would call us for what we call family worship. We would share in the mornings, we would share in the evenings, we would pray together. And she developed within us, through her influence, a heart for God. Last year, I baptized our son, Nathaniel. And it was an emotional time, as you can see, the camera never lies. And I called my mom and I told her, I said, Mom, baptize Nathaniel today. And she said, you know, son, I prayed and I asked God if I could have you, I'd give him back, give me to him. She said, I think my work is done. And so today as we think about our influence, My mom passed uh, earlier this year. While we have an opportunity, let us give ourselves to live beyond our circumstance. Let us give give ourselves to be committed and have courage. Let us give ourselves to a Christ-centered life so that somebody somewhere can be blessed through our influence. God bless you.